0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. In the innovation panel, as well as in that keynote, the call for us as leaders to lead change, to lead our organizations through disruption, and then the idea that we need to be offensive versus defensive in our strategies. There's a question of, will we be as healthcare systems or as providers of healthcare services more or less relevant in the future? The customers, the patients are going to beat us to the future, and maybe those disruptors are too.
1: Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Jamie Zage. Today, I've gathered three of SG2's leaders, Trina Sideros, John Becker, and Bill Woodson to talk about key insights from the 2023 Visient Healthcare Executive Forum. Thank you all for being here and sharing the key themes that you heard. What's the one most important or most surprising thing that you heard during
2: this forum? Trina, why don't we start with you? Thanks Jamie. The forum was, as expected, a lot of talk about financial woes that hospitals and health systems are facing. But the panel that stuck with me the most was actually about workplace violence. It was an interesting panel in that the executives were talking about the increase in workplace violence that their physicians, clinicians, nurses, and other staff are facing and various solutions that they've been exploring to deal with that. a piece that really surprised me was the introduction of AI into security measures that these hospitals are undertaking. We're going to find AI in all kinds of places that are unexpected. In this case, AI is being used to help surveil guests and families and patients that are coming through the doors to identify folks that might be at risk for security issues. One piece that came to my mind was that these kinds of technologies should be assessed for bias. As with anything with AI, bias can be baked in and hard to detect. That was the interesting trend that stuck with me coming out of the forum. How about Bill? What did you hear?
3: I'm thinking specifically of Dr. Omar Latif, who's the CEO of Rush. And he mentioned something and he told a good story about it, but his punchline was that our customers, our consumers are beating us to the future. He put that in context by saying that he still practices and he wanted to give a patient a flu shot took him 20 clicks on Epic to do it. So he really thought about just sending the patient literally down the street to CVS to get it taken care of. He talked more broadly about how other parts of our economy and specifically he used his experience with this app with Delta to just frame how far healthcare has to go to meet the needs to respond more powerfully to where our consumers are expecting us to be.
0: That's
1: great. And John, round us out for the top three.
0: I'll take a slightly different track here. In the keynote, Peter Sheehan talked about our need to be students of change and students of disruption. In the innovation panel, as well as in that keynote, the call for us as leaders to lead change, to lead our organizations through disruption, and then the idea that we need to be offensive versus defensive in our strategies. There's a question of, will we be as healthcare systems or as providers of healthcare services more or less relevant in the future if we're clinging to the way things were done? looking to avoid an outpatient shift, moving more slowly toward digital, that's a more defensive strategy. And frankly, we're gonna be less relevant in the future. The customers, the patients are gonna beat us to the future. And maybe those disruptors are too.
1: Those are some really interesting insights. I'm surprised that really the workforce component didn't come up. And that is, we know, still very top of mind. What did the speakers and the attendees have to say about workforce?
2: Well, definitely, workforce did come up over and over and over. It's probably crisis level at this point. One piece of it that is interesting to note is the post-acute care facility piece. Remember, during the pandemic, watching the monthly Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers come out for healthcare, And over and over, month after month, the number of people employed in nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, these kinds of places, dropped precipitously, even As we've seen the labor workforce for the rest of healthcare rebound, we have not seen that as much in this area. We're seeing that now, the fallout of that in terms of hospitals not having a place to send people to discharge people to. That creates all kinds of impacts in the hospitals. So even beyond the actual employment issues in the hospitals that hospitals can control to some extent, the impacts across the ecosystem are also having an effect that's very difficult to solve for. That's an interesting and worrisome trend that has continued even now, years after SARS-CoV-2 came on the scene. Bill or
1: John, anything you want to add?
3: Yeah, so two takeaways for me on workforce. I heard several comments about the challenges of hybrid work and managing a hybrid workforce in a variety of ways. We've not trained people how to manage a workforce like that. There is certainly a percentage of the healthcare workforce that does need to be in person for their jobs and there's a bit of resentment in the culture if people don't have to be there. We heard two CEOs talk about the cultural challenges of getting or adjusting to a hybrid workforce as part of the future. It's a work in progress. The other Recommendation came from a CEO from one of the UPMC hospitals who described his success in having what he described as food truck Wednesdays. So he's been working on everything to find ways to engage his employees. And he found that bringing in food trucks once a week gets people to show up. He can talk to them and get the input that he's desperate to hear right now. A third one has to do with just a recognition of the struggles of documentation and EPIC, which we've heard many times before. A specific example of of a CEO saying, we did the work operations study of the nursing staff, and sure enough, they were spending 40% of their time just documenting. So we went out and we hired six nurses just to do that for them. It was the first time a nurse came to him and said, you actually listen to something that we said to you, and we're grateful. Those are powerful things I took away.
0: Bill and Trina, there was also a comment from one of the participants on a panel around using AI. There's also AI in assessing your current workforce and whether or not that workforce is more or less likely to stay or remain with you in terms of retention. But looked at things like age, commute time, the age difference versus the leader, 30 plus variables that predict who is most likely or least likely to leave. That can be a powerful tool also as you think about managers, all of our ability to engage with staff to ensure that we check in with those who might be less likely to stick with us for the long term.
2: This technology is making its way into every nook and cranny of healthcare and we haven't even mentioned the large language model technologies that I can imagine might solve some of the charting and documenting issues.
0: A couple times you and I have heard Ken Kaufman speak and talk about what he sees as the future of healthcare and challenges from a revenue standpoint, from a growth standpoint. At this conference, this relates to staffing and workforce as well. He mentioned the need for a chief appointment officer. Now we can argue whether or not that is something that is needed or just a sign of something really wrong with general healthcare delivery. The stories we're hearing around wait times for select specialists in certain markets, probably somewhat related to workforce rather than just our scheduling capabilities. As you think about consumers and what we're shopping for, whether it's access, convenience, cost, this idea of being able to get in for the appointment is an important one to consider. And Ken talked a lot about the time value of money and the delay in all the services downstream that occurs when that patient can't get in for the specialist visit. I wonder how workforce is impacting things like this as well.
3: Bill, any thoughts? Ken's been consistent, actually, and in his talk last year to us at our conference, he mentioned that to the leaders of health systems, the first one of you that really solves the patient experience consumer journey challenge will win. It's as simple as that because no one has sorted it out. Ken uses his own story now scheduling a colonoscopy in the Chicago suburbs to make his point. And he said he had a multi-month waiting period or something like that. And then I texted John during that talk and said, I got into one in six days in the city, but I belong to something called One Medical that referred me directly into the advocate system. And it took no time at all. It was a completely amazing patient experience other than the fact that some random bill showed up and I still don't know what it's for.
0: But that does speak to what the disruptors are doing. These disruptors, whether it's one medical or others, they're finding the inefficiency, the friction in care, and they're providing a different service, sometimes digital enablement, sometimes rather than you having to schedule that appointment, they're calling us to schedule the appointments. Think about that, given some of the large health systems we work with or seek care from. It's just a different experience. The opportunity is there for our health system members to observe and understand what these disruptors are doing and either partner with them or frankly steal from them some of these ideas because they're clearly meeting our needs better.
2: If you think about the health systems at the other end of one medical that are receiving these referrals, that the efficiency is a benefit to them. I, like you, Bill, did not have any trouble not to make this an ad for one medical, but I had no problem getting in either for a colonoscopy, revealing my age at this point. That shows the value of partnering with these new entrants, that they can be considered threats or competitors, but they also can be valuable partners. A key part of all of this is to figure out what kinds of partnerships might be necessary or valuable
0: we all know where this is going. It goes back to the beginning comment from that keynote speaker that an offensive or a defensive strategy, and we could argue whether those are the right words, it's going toward shopping, it's going toward healthcare systems or the providers better meeting our needs on our terms. And we can try to protect the status quo, or we can think a little bit differently about how care is delivered and embrace these changes.
1: Trina and John, you've both talked about AI. I'm curious what other focus on digital innovation was throughout the conference. That's such a big part of what we hear in the healthcare landscape. What was highlighted at VHEF?
3: Jamie, there wasn't a ton on this, but it does come up. And we've had people at this conference for several years on that topic. David Entwistle, who's the CEO of Stanford, began his panel on these disruptions by asking the audience a generational question. Basically, are you digital native? And many of us didn't actually know what that meant. So when you go to someone's house, do you ring the doorbell or knock or do you just text them? And generationally, there's an answer to that question. And there's like an age below a certain age. No one, my kids in particular, would never use a doorbell or knock on the door. They would just text their friends and say, I'm here. And then he turned that into a broader conversation about AI and what it might do for us on the administrative side of healthcare, the clinical side. And then he got clever about this. So he asked Omar, the CEO of Rush, will artificial intelligence replace physicians? And Omar gave a very thoughtful answer about probably not, but it will support us and help us make better, faster, more accurate decisions. And then David played back the answer he had gotten from chat GPT to the same question. And it was exactly the same answer. It was spot on. Just a recognition of how quickly these tools are moving. And I will say for this audience, it's also worth paying attention to where AI is going to make a difference in the clinical side of healthcare, at least in scientific discovery. There's just amazing work being done in solving issues related to proteins and discovery of how DNA works with diseases. It's, it's accelerating more quickly than we can possibly realize.
0: It was Omar also that wrote down this quote. When you think about technology, innovation, AI, whatever it may be, the problem needs." to be the lead, not the technology. Too often we have cool technology then go searching for the problem to solve with our fun new gadget or capability. It's a nice reminder to keep the problem that you're trying to solve in the center and bring technology to bear rather than having that nice fun new gadget or new toy and go searching.
3: Dr. Schwartz was there on that panel. She's the chief innovation officer at Houston Methodist, and she brought up that there's different questions about how you measure ROI with digital and AI, all these tools, and she takes different views of it. We can put some financial metrics on this, but there are soft metrics of how it transforms work, culture, behavior, and she's trying to come up with different ways of looking at that to bring back that return to her leaders at the health system.
2: Adding to that, what you said, John, using AI or whatever shiny new tool to solve a problem that you've identified rather than finding a problem to solve with your shiny new tool. I have to imagine that right now in every company, every hospital people are discussing, how can we use this LLM to do X, Y, and Z? The opposite of what you're saying is happening everywhere. Even here on my team, we're wondering, what can we do with LLM? What can we do with these chat GPT tools? Instead of saying, what problems do we have? And what is the potential solution, which may or may not be that tool? But I imagine in hospitals and health systems, the same discussions are happening and that we'll see these point solutions. Maybe it's not the right solution for it. That is wise counsel to start with the problem, not with the shiny new tool.
1: What I'm hearing through this is a lot of theme around the need to innovate. Can you talk a little bit about how this theme resonates with you and what we need to do to accelerate that innovation moving forward?
3: Maybe it's not what we need to do, it's something that's happening that's underway already in the industry, which is there's a generational turnover of CEOs that is happening across our membership. I've mentioned this to John, I would guess that about 30% of the CEOs are new and maybe some have come up through their health systems, some are from the outside, some come from different roles than the traditional leadership track. And I think that is helpful for the innovation journey that a lot of the systems are gonna be on over the next few years. These are humble people taking on enormous challenges, including the workforce. And I think there's just an openness to change that maybe has been lacking in the last 10 to 15 years across health systems.
2: I agree with Bill, you have some fresh ideas blowing into C-suites across the industry. It's very difficult to think about innovation when you have financial crises like our hospitals and health systems are facing. And so the idea of thinking forward and completely transforming your enterprise is a very difficult thing to contemplate when you're dealing with all the crises on your plate each morning. In some ways that change will come and be forced. And that we are seeing with technology and with all these new entrants that it won't be a choice whether to innovate or not. It will happen because of these forces driving all of the change in terms of even the financial pressures will force new business models to be adopted. All of the new entrants coming in will force new business models to be adopted. In a way, it will take care of itself. It's just a matter of whether folks embrace it and try to take control of it or whether they let it happen to them.
0: I think it was an Amazon story. When you think about their model, know where the customer is going and do your best to get there first. This idea of innovation, I think where you know where this is going, there are problems with workforce, problems with reimbursement. There are certain things that are no regret moves. This idea of care distribution, outpatient shift, doing a better job of meeting the customer needs. It is an opportunity to change. And Trina, I think what you mentioned brings us back to the beginning also, which is by definition, these are offensive or change oriented strategies rather than defensive or status quo strategies. We do our best work when we embrace that and push our members, our customers to seek doing things differently in order to get a different answer. And again, that's exactly what all of these disruptors or innovators are doing. They're doing different to meet customer needs. We need to figure out the same thing ourselves.
1: I think those are some great closing words, John. Thank you so much, all three of you, Trina, Bill, and John, for joining me today on SG2 Perspectives. And thank you to our listeners as always for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at SG2 Perspectives at SG2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at VizientInc.com backslash podcasts.